0: Hi, this is Ben Lowell and welcome to Back of the Bible Canada with Dr. John Newfeld. We're continuing our Christmas series today, The Hope of the Ages, with a message titled, Christ the Better Hezekiah. So turn in your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 36 to 39 as we join Dr. Newfeld now.
1: Now, Hezekiah was the 14th King of Judah after King David. David reigned from 1011 BC until 971 BC, so for 40 years. Solomon, his son, reigned from 971 to 931 BC, also a 40-year reign. But because of Solomon's sins, especially his later idolatry, God was determined to limit the power of the house of David. See, after Solomon, the nation was broken up, and all that was left of the house of David were the two tribes, Judah and Benjamin, along with a great many Levites who remained loyal to the house of David. King Hezekiah, the 14th after David, reigned over Judah for 29 years. He reigned from 716 to 687 BC. Just six years before his reign began, the northern kingdom of Israel had fallen to the Assyrian Empire. The Assyrians were a rapidly expanding empire They developed a new policy. It was a policy they thought would keep their empire in power. They transported defeated nations into different lands. See, in this way, the people would be broken from their traditions. They would intermarry with other nations and eventually their culture would become extinct. And in essence, that's what happened to Israel. In 722 BC, the northern kingdom of Israel fell to the Assyrians and the kingdom of Israel came to an end. It ceased to exist. Their area was settled with other people, and the Assyrians imported them from other regions, and eventually, well, these people became known as the Samaritans. Well, that's another story for another time. At any rate, when Hezekiah became king, the terror of the fall of Israel had filled Judah with fear. Hezekiah's father, a wicked and unbelieving king, the 13th king after King David, had been terrified. Isaiah the prophet described King Ahaz as a man whose heart was shaken, As the trees of the forest are shaken before the wind, he lost all confidence. He was terrified that what had happened to Israel would happen to him. You know, as an aside here, when reading this account in our Bible, we do well to remember what's at stake. The covenant God made with David was a covenant that is all about Christmas. David was told that his kingship, his kingdom, would eventually become a global phenomenon and that his son, sitting on his throne, would rule the earth. And That was the hope of the Messiah. The son of David would rule the earth with a rod of iron, and all the nations of the earth would bow the knee before the descendant of David. And so you've got to wonder what the believers in Israel thought every time a new king sat on David's throne. They must have wondered whether or not this was the Messiah. You know, you'd have been forgiven for believing it was the case with Solomon. I mean, he brought Israel's borders perfectly in line with the promise that had been given to Abraham, and then his wisdom, well, that was dizzying. People and even kings from the earth came to visit him and bask in his splendor and his wisdom. And those were heady days. And in those days, it must have been so easy to believe that's the Messiah. I mean, imagine if Solomon wasn't the Messiah. Then the Messiah would even be greater than Solomon. That means a splendor that was hard to imagine. But then the cracks in the foundation started showing up. Solomon fills the country with chariots purchased from Egypt, even though the law of God had forbidden him from doing that. Solomon also married the royal daughter of Egypt, along with a number of other women, all making foreign alliances until his wives and his concubines numbered a thousand. Again, the law of God forbade that. And then, of course, Solomon filled the land with houses of idols to accommodate the religious preferences of all those wives and to keep his foreign alliances going. And Solomon, in order to support his lavish lifestyle, crushed the people with high taxes. Well, after Solomon's death, those cracks in the foundation had become a fissure. The nation broke up. And that brings us to the time of Hezekiah. Six years before he began to reign, the Assyrians had destroyed the nation of Israel, and so all the dreams of reuniting the land was gone. Hezekiah's Judah, was a territory that stretched, if you have a map in your mind's eye, from the top of the Dead Sea down to the Red Sea. You know, it's a small country, to say the least. It's a, it's a rump of its former self. Now, if you're wondering at this point, what in the world has all this got to do with Christmas? Well, I'm going to compare the greatness of Hezekiah with that of Jesus. And if you don't know the story of Hezekiah, you might wonder how the king of Podunkville at that time, so small you'd hardly notice, could be a great man. And after I tell you of the crisis that he faced with Assyria, you might wonder, why don't talk about the greatness of Assyria? I mean, how can I talk about the greatness of the king of Judah, Hezekiah? But please remember that lest we so easily dismiss this man that Jesus, our Lord, was born in a small village of Bethlehem and his parents were poor. There was no place for him in the inn. and He was born in an animal cave and wrapped in claws and lain in an animal feeding trough. So just a heads up, I'm going to be comparing Jesus in his humility with Hezekiah in his humility. That's what we're going to look at. So let's see if I can set the stage for the drama that is surely one of the great dramas of the Bible. The drama is described in three different Bible books, and you'll find it in 2 Kings 18 and 19, also in 2 Chronicles 32. But for our purposes, we're going to be looking as it's described in Isaiah chapters 36 and 37. The passage in Isaiah 36 begins by saying, in the 14th year of King Hezekiah, that is, he's been king now for 14 years and he's gained some experience. In his first 14 years, he's inherited a deeply sinful and idolatrous nation, as well as a nation that lived under constant threat, and Hezekiah sets out to restore the nation. He removes the idolatrous shrines from the land. Indeed, 2 Kings 18, 6-8 gives an excellent summary of what he did in those first 14 years. It says, For he held a fast to the Lord. He did not depart from following him. He kept the commandments that the Lord commanded Moses. And the Lord was with him. Wherever he went, he prospered. He rebelled against the king of Assyria and would not serve him. He struck down the Philistines as far as Gaza and its territories from watchtower to fortified city. In short, Hezekiah was able to grasp a hold of the hand that he had been dealt and make the most of it. You know, there are people who spend their lives complaining about their situation. I mean, if only things were better, I'd have made something of myself. Well, Hezekiah was definitely not one of those people. He understood that God's sovereign design determines the time in which we live and he would be all that God would have him to be. Ruling the nations? Not him. Perhaps being the long-awaited Messiah? Definitely not. But taking a broken and ruined nation and making all that it could be in his generation to the glory of God. Yeah, that was the role that he readily embraced. And with that, we come to the situation he finds himself in after 14 years of very good governance and leading the people to worship the one true God. So, Isaiah 36, verse 1. In the fourteenth year of King Hezekiah, Sennacherib, king of Assyria, came up against all the fortified cities of Judah and took them. Now, Hezekiah had been very hard at work in establishing a strong defense around the cities that would protect the nation. But in a very short period of time, all that work was undone. One city after another fell to the onslaught of the Assyrian Empire until each one of them was gone. But his troubles were only just beginning. Isaiah 36, verses 2 to 4 then tells us what happens next. And the king of Assyria sent the Rabshakeh from Lachish to King Hezekiah at Jerusalem with a great army. And he stood by the conduit of the upper pool on the highway to the washer's field. And there came out to him Eliakim, the son of Hilkiah, who was over the household, and Shevna, the secretary, and Joah, the son of Asaph, the recorder. And the Rabshakeh said to them, Say to Hezekiah, Thus says the great king, the king of Assyria, on what do you rest this trust of yours? Now, the Rabshakeh was a high-ranking Assyrian military officer who had been given authority to speak on behalf of the king of Assyria. And when he approaches, Hezekiah's men are standing by the conduit of the upper pool. That is, you know, they're strengthening the city for the eventual attack. And if you go to Jerusalem today, you might be taken through Hezekiah's tunnel which his engineers built in order to secure the water supply of the city in case of a long siege. Also, there are in Jerusalem still today, vestiges of the wall that he built to withstand the Assyrian siege. So that's the scene, and the Rabshakeh is mocking Hezekiah. And then the Rabshakeh tells Hezekiah's men that all the other nations have tried something similar, and each of them are in ruins today. And he laughs and he says, you won't be able to repulse even a single of my captains among all the Assyrian army. Indeed, all men who are building this defensive fortification for you, well, wait till the siege actually starts. They're destined to eat their own dung and drink their own urine. That's how desperate they're going to become. Well, they're about to be completely defeated. And then shouting in Hebrew, the Rapshikah speaks so loud that everyone can hear. Isaiah 36, verse 18. Beware lest Hezekiah mislead you by saying, the Lord will deliver us. Has any of the gods of the nations delivered his land out of the hand of the king of Assyria? In other words, your God is no greater than all those other gods and he will certainly not deliver you. Oh my, those are fighting words.
0: I, Ben Lowell, and on behalf of the entire ministry team at Back to the Bible Canada, in doubt and laugh again, I want to extend our thoughts and prayers that you and your family would experience a blessed Christmas. Perhaps this Christmas, I've been more reflective than others. Perhaps it's the common circumstance we've shared for nearly two years. All that has taken place in our communities, country, in fact, around the world, has reminded us that this world is filled with chaos, much beyond our control but there is one whom I'm privileged to know, the same one who came to offer a sure and lasting hope, and that because of his arrival, sacrifice, and victory is now preparing a place where the pain and confusion of this world will pass. In the meantime, what a great news we have to share. Jesus is the hope of the ages. Merry Christmas.
1: When Jesus was hanging on the cross, something awful happened. He was being mocked. Matthew 27:41 to 43 says, So also the chief priest with the scribes and elders mocked him, saying, He saved others. He cannot save himself. He's the king of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross, and we will believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God deliver him now if he desires him. For he said, I am the son of God. That is, when he was doing his miracles, however he was doing them, he sure looked fine then. And when he was preaching, didn't he really wow the crowds? And for a while he had his day, but now we've nailed him to the cross. Let's see if God delivers him. We know that he can. not And so they mock and others join in as well. Indeed, the thieves that are crucified with him also join in in the mockery. And that's the question that's both before Jesus and Hezekiah. When the enemy has gathered against you and have utterly humiliated you, and when they even say, hey, let's see if God delivers you, Let's see what becomes of you. And by the way, we still hear that today, don't we? You know, some people say God helps those who help themselves or God's on the side of those with the most money and power. You know, they say your God won't help you. His ability won't help you out at all. And there are others to say, you know, you have to just make your own luck. And all of that says you can't escape the reality. Jesus on the cross, Hezekiah, shut up in Jerusalem like a bird in a cage. How humiliating. Now, I mentioned the idea that Hezekiah was shut up like a bird in a cage because of something that archaeologists found. In 1830, the British archaeologist Colonel R. Taylor, while excavating the ruins of ancient Nineveh, the capital of Assyria, discovered a stone prism. It was a hexagonal column with writing on all six sides, and it was written in Assyrian cuneiform script. And as it was interpreted, it became fascinating. It contained the words of the Assyrian king, King Sennacherib. And now you'll agree, this is fascinating. It contains these words. Sennacherib says, I have shut up Hezekiah in Jerusalem, his royal city, like a bird in a cage. Those were his words. Well then, faced with the overwhelming military force that has destroyed nation after nation and has also destroyed Israel. Hezekiah, you might think, would be forced to face the obvious truth. Whatever he believed about God and about his Messiah, well, that was one thing. But this Assyrian juggernaut, that's another thing. And so what does he do? Hezekiah sends his servants immediately to talk to Isaiah the prophet. And Isaiah sends a word back just as quickly. Don't be afraid, he says. God has heard that his name is being reviled, and God will act. The king of Assyria will fall by the sword in his own land. Well, for a while, the Shikai is forced to withdraw from Jerusalem I mean, he hears that his king is under threat from an approaching Cushite force, and so he withdraws the siege to move his army to crush the rising threat. But as he does, he sends Hezekiah a letter in which he mocks the God of Israel again, promising he'll be back. Well, let's read Isaiah 3714 to 17. Hezekiah received the letter from the hand of the messengers and read it. And Hezekiah went up to the house of the Lord and spread it before the Lord. And Hezekiah prayed to the Lord, O Lord of hosts, God of Israel, enthroned above the cherubim. You are the God. You alone of all the kingdoms of the earth, you have made heaven and earth. Incline your ear, O Lord, and hear. Open your eyes, O Lord, and see, and hear all the words of Sennacherib, which he has sent to mock the living God. Don't move so quickly from this text. Hezekiah is praying. No matter the humiliation of Judah and Jerusalem, it's as if he's telling God, "I I don't fully understand all this, but I do know this. You're enthroned on the highest throne. All the kingdoms of the earth are your creation, and you rule them all. This I know, and on the basis of that, I pray that you would pay attention to how this man mocks you. Hezekiah goes on to pray that he knows that Sennacherib has destroyed other nations, and then he adds, but they were no gods at all. It's not so with us. See, at that point, Isaiah breaks in. He has sent a prophecy to Hezekiah, and the king should read it. And I won't quote all of it here, all the prophecy, but one part of it is very important. Isaiah chapter 37, verses 26 to 27 says, "'Have you not heard that I determined it long ago? "'I planned from days of old what I now bring to pass, "'that you should make fortified cities "'crash into heaps of ruins, "'while their inhabitants, short of strength, "'are dismayed, and confounded, "'and have become like plants of the field, "'and like tender grass, "'like grass on the housetops blighted before it is grown.'" See, there's the answer. The reason that Assyria has become a powerful nation, even to the point of decimating all the nations around them, is because God, in his sovereign design, has directed Assyria that this is the role they would play. Now, Syria doesn't know that. They thought their success lay in what they were doing. But the Assyrians should not have been so confident. I mean, when they would played their role, God would dispense of them. I go back now to Jesus hanging on the cross. The chief priests and religious leaders are mocking him as he hangs there. Come down, they say. If you said you were God's man, well, then prove it. Let God deliver you. But of course, Jesus knew that God would not deliver him from the cross. He'd already told his disciples that very thing. Remember Luke 18, 31 to 34? And taking the twelve, he said to them, See, we're going up to Jerusalem, and everything that is written about the Son of Man by the prophets will be accomplished. For he will be delivered over to the Gentiles and will be mocked and shamefully treated and spit upon, and after flogging him they will kill him, and on the third day he will rise. But they understood none of these things. This saying was hidden from them, and they did not grasp what was said." Think now about the similarities between Jesus and the plight of Hezekiah. But think also about the contrast. Hezekiah was launched into a series of impossible events not by his own will. Events turned against him, and he cries out to God. Jesus was launched into a series of impossible events, fully knowing that was precisely where the Father was leading him. He went into what looked like utter triumph of his enemies at the Father's will. Indeed, a close study of Jesus' activities in Jerusalem on that final Passover shows us that he was deliberately pushing the religious leaders into a corner So that they would strike out and conspire with the Romans to nail him to the cross. And that, my friends, is the contrasting greatness of Jesus. Hezekiah did not choose his defeat. It was thrust on him. Jesus, in act of obedience to the Father, chose the disgrace and dishonor of the cross. He did it for the glory of God. But there's a similarity between both of those events. It is in the faith of both Hezekiah and Jesus, as well as in the deliverance that came. In the case of Hezekiah, let's read what Isaiah told the king. Isaiah 37, 33 to 35. Therefore, thus says the Lord concerning the king of Assyria, he shall not come into the city or shoot an arrow there, or come before it with a shield, or cast up a siege mound against it. By the way that he came, by the same he shall return. And he shall not come into this city, declares the Lord, for I will defend this city to save it for my own sake and for the sake of my servant David. Well, that was God's word to Hezekiah the king. The promise made to David is not going to fail. And the enemies of the hope of the Messiah are not going to have the last word. And by all indications, Hezekiah grasps a hold of that promise, and he simply believes. Of course, by the time Isaiah made that promise, the Assyrians had returned. And they were getting ready now to lay down that withering siege, which had destroyed one city after another. Do you remember that prism I told you about containing the words of Sennacherib? You know, I've shut up Hezekiah like a bird in a cage. So what happened to that? Well, Isaiah 37 verse 36 says, And the angel of the Lord went out and struck down 185,000 in the camp of the Assyrians. And when people arose in the morning, behold, these were all dead bodies. It was appalling, it was overwhelming. In terror, the remaining few fled back to Assyria and in a little while, Sennacherib the great king was assassinated. But as we know, that was nothing. Back to Jesus hanging on the cross, being taunted by the religious leaders. Imagine what they say, we've got you now. Your God will not deliver you. We will utterly triumph over you. And before the sun falls that night, Jesus breathes his last and he dies on a cross, and it would seem that his enemies had indeed triumphed. Three days later, he rises from the dead, and then rather than having destroyed Jesus and his followers, Jesus appears to his disciples and he proves that he's alive. The church of Jesus Christ is formed. The religious leaders had not anticipated the power of God. God would deliver his own son in the resurrection from the dead, defeating death and creating a church that would reach untold millions from every tribe, race, language, and tongue. The Christmas story is the beginning of a story so much greater than the drama that happened in Hezekiah's day. Yes, Hezekiah speaks of the great deliverance of God, but the babe that came in the manger speaks of a much greater deliverance. In this, we rejoice every Christmas season. Thanks for the message, John. Do you think it's
0: really important that we keep in mind that Jesus, the one who came so humbly, also
1: came with great power? You know, it's so important to continue to remind believers of this because, especially in our day when we recognize that, you know, yes, especially in the Western world, there was a time when the Christian faith was endowed with political power. And we have, especially in our generation, seen most of that power being stripped away. So we think of ourselves as powerless and as humble. It's important for us to recognize that we are the servants of Jesus. So on the one hand, Jesus does appear powerless. But on the other hand, we recognize this is God come to us in human flesh. What appears to be powerless in the eyes of men is indeed the wisdom and the power of God. Let's remember that when we look at the manger and take hope.
0: Thanks so much, John, and remember to join us again tomorrow as we continue our Christmas series, The Hope of the Ages, right here on Back to the Bible Canada, Bible teaching you can trust. Back to the Bible Canada is dedicated to the clear presentation of God's good news, The comfort and joy of the gospel are not seasonal. All year round, this ministry carries the power of God's Word, which transforms hearts and homes, always striving to use resources to expand our opportunity to share the gospel and connect with people through an ever-increasing lineup of Bible teaching programming. For this purpose, we rely upon the generosity and partnership of God's people to fulfill this great mission. Your financial gifts are more than kindness. They are a participation in seeding God's Word and a trust in kingdom work. You may be considering a year-end donation for this purpose. In advance, thank you. Placing our gifts into the activity of God will never disappoint. Call us today to make your year-end ministry gift at 1-800-663-2425 or visit us at backtothebible.ca.